Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. If you didn't, the kids may be dismissed for junior church, and the rest of you big folks can get your Bibles out. Um, I hope you didn't mind me calling you big folks. Sorry. Um, to uh, the Gospel of Luke. I heard that. Chapter, 11, chapter 15, page 740 in your pew Bibles, and we are in for a treat this morning as we open up the Gospel of Luke. This is perhaps... You know, if someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? I've said before that, simply put, the gospel is Jesus is Lord. But if you wanted to, well, I want to explain the gospel to somebody. How do, I, how do I share the gospel with somebody? And the answer is, just open up the parable in Luke 15, verse 11, and go from there. The parable of the prodigal son kind of summarizes it all for us. The parable is going to begin with, a, it's going to be about a banquet. In chapter 14, Jesus had instructed those who were invited to the banquets to not seek the seat of honor. Don't seek the best seats, Jesus said. Seek the lowest seat, and then maybe the host will come and move you up to the best seat later. But if you seek the best seat out, the host might say, you know what, there's somebody more honorable than you, and you go sit by the door. And then he told the the, the guys who throw the banquets, he said, and by the way, and don't invite the rich and the famous and all those, you know, your family and everybody else to these banquets, but instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Now you have to understand the context of a banquet here for a, a Jewish person in the first century would have immediately had an association with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is sitting in God's throne at his presence at a banquet. And of course, the outcasts, those, they never get to go to banquets. So for them, th- this, is, this will be like awesome. Um, this is what it is. So Luke 15 is going to begin in verse 1. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered or grumbled. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Okay, now note carefully. The parable is spoken to the Pharisees. He is not speaking to his disciples. In fact, if you have your Bible open, look at chapter 16, verse 1. Then he spoke to his disciples. He's not speaking to them in chapter 15. Chapter 16, he turns and addresses the disciples. But in chapter 15, he's addressing the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Now, the Pharisees, very simply, are the religious elite, and they believe it was their task to help the people, you know, you common folks, understand what the law means. The law is the Ten Commandments. And for example, as we've mentioned before, the Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath day. Well, the Pharisees thought it was their job to say, this is what work means. That's work, that's not work. So it was their job to kind of help the people know what's right, what's wrong, we instruct you in the way, we're the people who know everything, and we'll help you along the way. Jesus is going to tell a parable. Now, parables, if you're not aware, are just simply stories that Jesus tells. They're often set in a first century world, in a first century context, uh, uh, an agricultural context, uh, uh, a context that they're familiar with. And Jesus is going to tell a story in which the application of that story is going to, is going to meet some real-world need. The story is not a true story. It's not a real story. It's simply a story that he makes up that illustrates a real-world need. So the Pharisees are saying, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus tells them a parable. So we know the purpose of the parable 
is to answer why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners. Now, if you'll note in your Bibles that he's going to tell three parables in, in Luke 15. And if your Bible has little headings, the first parable is going to be found in verses 3 through 7, the parable of the lost sheep. And then in verses 8 through 10, he's going to tell another parable about the parable of uh, the lost coin. And then in verses 11 through 32, the parable of the lost son, which I'm not sure that's the best title. But here's what happens. Three parables, all answering the question, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? The first parable is a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Now, if you're not aware, by the way, sheep are really stupid animals. And, and they, they huddle together. And all of a sudden, if the shepherd says, let's go this way, one of the sheep might have like, not noticed that everybody was leaving because they bury their heads in the sand. I mean, they literally just like, bury their heads down. Right? Especially in, a, in like a group huddle. And if the whole group goes, they might... Uh, but it's possible that one of them got left behind. And so the parable says, well, what happen, if, if, if what, what's going to happen is the shepherd's going to take the 99... And he's going to just leave them there because they're just going to like stick their heads together and they won't go anywhere. And he's going to go off and find the one that was lost. So verses 6 and 7 of Luke 15. Rejoice with me, the shepherd says, because I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he tells another parable. So, so the first fill in the blank, by the way, is there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. All right, then verses 8 through 10. A woman has 10 coins. And these 10 coins are probably her dowry, which means dad gave it to her when she got married, which means this is all she owns. Now, if, if she were to be divorced or separated or her husband were to pass away, this is all she would have are these 10 coins. Now, the shepherd who owns 100 sheep would be a pretty rich shepherd because they don't usually own that much sheep. But this woman's pretty poor. Because 10 coins, 10 days' wages, ain't going to get you very far if your husband passes away. She loses one of them. And she's like, she's oh my, she cannot afford to lose one of these coins. So what happens? She sweeps the house. She goes to and fro, and she finally finds the coin. Verse 9. And she sa says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the second phone in the blank is, The angels rejoice at every sinner who repents. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And he tells a third parable. Now you're going to notice all three parables are similar. Something is lost, and then it's found. All right? So chapter 15 now, let's look at the parable of the prodigal son, as we call it, and we maybe will rename it when we're done. The first thing is, the word prodigal means recklessly extravagant, or someone who spent everything. So we commonly call this the parable of the prodigal son, meaning this one son is going to lavishly, recklessly waste all the father's money, so we call it the parable of the prodigal son. All right, verse 11. He said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to the, one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled the stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I'm going to get up, 
and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring in his hands, uh, on his hands and the sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Parable begins in verse 11. Man had two sons. The young of them said, Father, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. I want my inheritance. But your inheritance is only something that you get when the father dies. Dad, I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. Can I have your stuff? Now, you can imagine in, in, in any culture, by the way, but in an honor and shame culture of the Middle East of the first century, this is as shameful as you can ever get. To speak to a father this way, the father should have had the son beaten and thrown, because the son has brought shame onto the father. He's shamed this whole household. The father should, should save his honor by beating this son and take this shameful son and send him away. And the father divides his wealth among them. Verse 11, continue, verse 12. So he divided his wealth between them. Now note, by the way, he not only gives the son what he asked for, but he actually divides the wealth between them. The older brother got his inheritance also. And the way an estate would work in that day, by the way, is the older son gets a double inheritance. So if there's four kids, four sons, and he divides it five ways. The first son gets two, and the other three sons each get one. With only two sons, he divides it three ways. The older brother got two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger brother gets one-third of the inheritance. And so then the younger son takes the inheritance, and he goes off to a distant country, and he squanders it away. But then he began to be in need. And there was a famine in the land. And he has a job feeding pigs. Now remember, if you're a first-century Israelite, this son has really gone wayward because he's feeding pigs, and pigs are not acceptable in the Jewish world. There were no pigs in Israel. They don't eat pigs. He's, he's somewhere, he's in another country. And then he wanted to eat what came to the pig, what the pigs ate. Verse 17 says, then he came to his senses. He thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'll go home. Now, if you're a first century Jewish listener of this, you're like, no bad idea. A son who has brought such shame upon his father, the best thing he can do is stay away. He cannot bring his shame back with him to the home. He's going to disgrace the family again by coming back. But he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back. I'll admit to my father that I've sinned. Uh, and, and, here, and, and I won't even be a slave in my father's home. I'm not even worthy to be a slave. I'll be one of his hired men. See, the slaves lived in the home. The slaves lived on the property and worked for the father. Hired men lived somewhere else and then just come and work on the land for the day and then go home. I'm not even worthy to live in my father's household right now. I'll just be one of his hired folks. And, and maybe he's thinking that if I work long enough for my father, I, I can save enough money up, I can pay him back. So verse 20 says, He got up and he came to his father, but 
while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is not what you're expecting to happen in the parable. If you're a first-century Jewish reader, the father should not be filled with compassion for him. Furthermore, the father runs to him. Men don't run. I'll get there when I get there. When I arrive is when I arrive. You can wait for me. See, to run means I don't have enough honor and you're more honorable than me, so I've got to hurry up and get there because I feel bad I'm late. No, I'm honorable. And when I arrive is when I arrive. Men don't run. Furthermore, to, to, you know, they, they, were, they were robes, dresses, if you want to call them that, right? And, and you can't run with them, so you have to gird yourself up. You're gird up, girding up your loins. It means taking your, your robe and, and, and tucking it into your underwear, and now your thigh is showing. It's disgraceful. It's shameful. The, the, the wayward son who's brought shame into the home is coming back and bringing his shame with him, and the father does what? He feels compassion for him, and he runs to greet him. Verse 22 and 23, the father said to the slaves, quickly, get the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. The best robe would have been the father's own robe. It would have meant, this, this is my son. He's being restored back to the family. Not only is he being restored back to the family, the father's holding a public reception of the son. You shouldn't be doing this at all, let alone a public, because kill the fattened calf. A fattened calf is enough food for about 35 to 70 people. He's not just feeding the family, he's feeding the public. He's, Come on in, rejoice with me, my son was lost. And now he's found. Thus in the parable, the father is the true prodigal. It's not the parable of the prodigal son, as uh, Tim Keller says. It's called, it should be called the parable of the prodigal father. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God. It's God in this parable who's the prodigal. It's God who's lavishing his wealth excessively and even recklessly. It's the father who's excessively extravagant. Now what's interesting is the way this story works. Because you see, all stories, whether it's Disney or a movie, it doesn't matter, every story has three key elements. All right, and I put them up on the screen. First, there's a setting. Then there's a conflict which often intensifies until it reaches a climax, and then there's a resolution. This is how every story works, right? There's a princess, and she lives in a castle with mommy and daddy, and she's a wonderful uh, person, and then all of a sudden she gets kidnapped by an evil dragon. This is, there's your setting. Everything's fine and dandy. Uh, then there's a conflict. All of a sudden now she's, she's imprisoned by this evil witch or by this, you know, with a dragon watching over her. And, and how is she going to get rescued? And then all of a sudden what happens? Prince Charming comes and slays the dragon and rescues the woman, uh, uh, the, the princess. There's your resolution. Every story has these three elements in it. Now, when we read the parable of the prodigal son, we'll notice the setting. A man has two sons. Conflict. Dad, I wish you were dead. Conflict gets worse. The son takes the wealth and he lavishes him, him and, and he runs out of money. And all of a sudden the, the conflict gets worse and worse because now he's, he has no food and he wants to eat what the pigs could eat. And he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll go home. There's your climax. The climax of the movie is going to be what happens when he goes home. Is dad going to receive him? Because everyone listening to the parables is like, you, you ought not to go home, son. 
But the father not only receives him, he runs out and greets him and kisses him and has a fattened calf and a robe and rings. And, and, the, and the father welcomes him. And that's your resolution. But if you're reading, you might notice that the parable doesn't actually seem to end. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And, he, and his father came out and he began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you and you've never neglected a and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. You, you killed the fattened calf uh, for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to, be, to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost, and he has been found. The older brother learns of his, son, of, of his younger brother's return and and, and he's irate. He became angry, verse 28, and he was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Folks, the older brother's bringing shame on the father because he refuses to go into the banquet. You, you, your dad's holding a banquet and you won't go in? How shameful is that? Not only that, but he makes the father come out. We think it's the younger brother who's bringing all the shame on the family. No, it's the older brother too. Not only does he make the father come out, he shames the father by arguing with him in public. Look, he says to his father, totally disrespectful. How many years I've been serving you, I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate my friends. But when this son of yours, you can almost profane, almost profaning and swearing at this point in time to his father. Look is not the proper way to speak to your father. I've been serving you this son of yours. He can't even say my brother. Bless you. Verse 31. The father said to him, Son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost and has been found. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees were grumbling amongst themselves, this man eats with the wrong folks. Why are you eating with these people? And here's our answer. We had to. I had to. I, I had to be merry and rejoice. They were lost, and now they, they were dead, and now they're alive. I had to rejoice. That's why I'm doing it. I have to. Now, what would never have crossed their mind those who are hearing the parable, or uh, especially the Pharisees to whom it was addressed, the, the religious leader says, is, am I in the banquet also? You know, is this, do I get to go? The Pharisees, of course, assume, I'm, of course I'm in the banquet. In order to understand this parable well, I think we need to go another step further. That's, let's look, who is the younger son, and who is the, the, the older brother? The younger brother is the wayward sinner. Uh, those who never follow the laws of purity, the ritual laws, uh, they're, they're sinners. They're tax collectors and sinners. They're, they're, they're not even worthy of ever even coming into the banquet. They're simply excluded by who they are. 
Now this son realizes his waywardness and realizes what he's done against his father and decides, you know what, I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll buy my, my way back in. I'm not worthy to be part of his family, but maybe if I, if I work long enough, if I work hard enough, maybe I, I, I can pay my father back. And the father says, no, you can't ever pay me back. He simply grants the son restitution to the family. And any of us that have come to Christ have actually come to, uh, come to we come to Christ because we are the younger brother or sister. Uh, we may at first want to earn our way into the kingdom, but we quickly realize God's not going to have any of it. We can't earn our way into the banquet. God must simply grant it. If you want the gospel story, there it is. No one can earn their way back into the, into the banquet. God must grant it. Recognize that we're wayward sons. We've taken all that the Father's given us and we've squandered it away lavishly. And we must come to our senses and say, I know what I'll do. I'll say, Father, I have sinned against you. And he'll receive you back. He, he's standing at the door waiting for you to come home. Note, by the way, of the three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. In the first two parables, they went out to find that which was lost. But in this parable, God doesn't go out and search. He simply waits for the son to come home, and then he runs out, and he greets him, and he welcomes him back. But what's interesting, however, is that the parable doesn't seem to be just about this younger son. It's not just about the prodigal son. It's about the older brother, too. And the older brother is perhaps best defined as the religious folks. The religious folks who condemn Jesus for eating with the wrong people. Now the, the wayward son knows that he's lost and he, and he, and he initially just thinks, maybe I, I can pay my way back into my father's household, uh, uh, realizing that's not going to work. But the older brother is also not in the banquet. But the older brother is upset because he thinks he should be saved because of everything that he's done. Look at all that I've done. He doesn't realize that in order to come into the banquet, he too must repent. So as Tim Keller says, the parable should probably be called the parable of the prodigal God. Because it's the father who lavishly, recklessly spends and, 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 and gives to those who are simply not deserving. In fact, the parable is more about God than it is about wayward sons. It's about a God who welcomes wayward sons. And it's a God who welcomes the religious too. No one can come to the Father, as they answer the parable, without saying, I'm not worthy. And the Father longs for you to come home. No one will enter the, enter the banquet because they're good. The, 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 the wayward son is going to buy his way back in and earn his father's love. He can't do it. But the religious brother is, I'm worthy enough already. And the answer is, no, you're not. And the father is there to welcome us back to the banquet. Now, it's easy for us, for some of you especially, who have, have really hit rock bottom. We've all either been there ourselves or, or we know those who have, right? And some, you know, if, especially when it's, when it's your own kids or your family member, you're like, I don't want them to go through this anymore, but you know what? I, I, I kind of hope that they hit the bottom this time so that, they, that they'll maybe come, come out of it. Uh, we recognize that unless they really hit the bottom, they're never going to learn. And that's the younger brother. 
The younger brother who's, who's hit the bottom, he, he can't get any lower than, than, than sitting with the pigs wanting to eat the pig's food. And then he repents. And he comes home, and the father's there to greet him. In fact, the father will throw a lavish banquet. The hardest part, however, is that when we're the older brother, and we think that we deserve the banquet, we're confident that we're in the banquet. We have never considered the idea that I'm not in the banquet. I go to church every week. I've always, I've always, I even go to Bible study. I mean, that's twice in a week. I mean, hello, right? We think we're in. We never considered the idea that we weren't going to attend the banquet. But interestingly, we often read the parable as though it's about that younger brother and not about the older brother also. But Jesus didn't tell the parable to the wayward son. He told the parable to the Pharisees who were asking, why are you eating with those people? The parable was told to the older brother. The parable is about the older brother more than it's about the younger brother. We look at the parable and think, oh, what a great story. It's about the gospel, about how God receives a wayward son who's come home, how he repents, and, and you too, if you just simply come to Jesus, he'll, he'll welcome you back regardless of what you've done. And we think it's a, it's, a, it's a parable that's supposed to be heard with joy. But if Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and if he's answering them why he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, then the response to the parable was probably anger. They were upset with him. What, you, you, you're trying to insinuate, I'm not going to the feast? All right, now let's go back to our story. Stories have three elements. A setting, a conflict that often worsens and worsens and worsens until it reaches a climax, and then a resolution. Now let's look at the second story. Here's a setting. The older brother says, hey, what's going on over there? That's the setting. For, it's, see, the, the, the parable kind of continues, but it's, it's like a sequel. The, the parable of the, of the younger brother, that had its resolution, and that was done. But Jesus doesn't finish the parable. He starts telling a new story, maybe a, a sequel. Uh, there's, a, there's an older brother, and he finds out that the other brother has a banquet going on for him, and he becomes irate, the conflict. He calls the father out. The conflict gets worse. Look, Dad, the conflict gets worse. Oh, I've done all these things for you, and you never did this for me. The conflict gets worse. And the father says, what? Look, son, all that I have is yours. But we had to rejoice and be merry because your brother was lost and is found. He was dead and he's alive. End of chapter, end of parable, end of story, no resolution. I mean, the story doesn't, it would make, it would make a bad movie because we want to know what does the older brother do? What does he say? The father has answered his, his questions, his claims. Look, we had to be re re rejoice. Your, your brother was lost and now he's found. Won't you come in the banquet also? Why don't you join us? And we don't know what happens. It doesn't say the, the older brother refused. That would, be, that would be a resolution. He refused. Or the older brother said, okay, dad, guess what? I love you too, I'm in. That would be a resolution. There's no, the story just ends. Why does the story end without a resolution? And the answer is because the story was Jesus' offer to the Pharisees to join them in the meal. Why are you eating with those people? I had to eat with these people. Are you going to join us or not? And we don't know whether they join them or not 
until we read Luke 16 and 17 and 21 and 23 and 24. And we find out, as we keep reading the Gospel of Luke, they don't come in. Instead, they turn them over to the Romans and say, crucify. Now, how do I know if I'm a younger brother or if I'm an older brother? Well, a younger brothers are usually pretty apparent. They've gone wayward. They've, they've gone in the depths. They've left in whatever they're chasing after they're chasing after. The elder brother is more difficult. Let me just give you a couple quick thoughts on how we understand whether we're elder brothers. First off, the elder brother is in it for themselves. Look, Father, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat. They're in it for themselves. That I can celebrate with my friends. But the son of yours came home and you killed a fattened calf for him. You see, the older brother only cares about the father's things too. He didn't say, Dad, I wish you were dead, but he did receive the inheritance. My son, all that I have is yours, uh, by the way, is literally the case because everything the father has is the older brother's because the inheritance was divided amongst his sons. The father gave everything away. The only thing that the father has left is what actually belongs to the older son. All that I have is yours. Tim Keller tells a story about, he made up a story. He says, one day Jesus was talking with his disciples and he said, look, I want you to carry a stone for me. So he didn't give them any explanation at all. The disciples just picked up stones. And of course, Peter being the very pragmatic one that he is, we always pick on Peter, by the way. So Peter being the pragmatic one that he is, he picks up a very small rock and he puts it in, puts it in his pocket and they began journeying with Jesus throughout the morning. Jesus was teaching along the countrysides and doing some miracles, and then finally he grabbed his disciples and said, come on, let's go over here, and let's have lunch together. So they go over there to sit down and have lunch together, and Jesus says, I want you to pull out your stone. And then each disciples pull out their stones, and Jesus turns the stone into bread. He says, enjoy your lunch. So Peter's lunch, of course, has gone pretty quickly, and he's kind of disappointed with himself. But after the disciples are done eating, Jesus says, I want you to carry a stone for me. So the disciples all begin to pick up stones, and Peter's like, I get how it works now. I know we're going to have a good dinner tonight. And he picks up a boulder, and, just, and, he, and, he, and he just lifts it up, puts it on his shoulder. And throughout the whole afternoon, he's just trudging this boulder around. He's laboring and striving, but he knows dinner's going to be nice. Jesus then told the disciples after they were done teaching for a while, etc., he says, come follow me. And then he took the disciples over to a river, and he says, I want you to throw your stones in the river. They all throw their stones in the river and they walk away and say, okay, come on, let's go get dinner. And Peter's like, wait a minute, what happened? You know, I mean, I thought this was going to work. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, don't you remember that what, I, what I asked you to do? Who were you carrying the stone for? You see, Jesus said, Peter, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. But Peter was carrying it for himself. Once he realized that the stone was going to become lunch, he picked up a big stone. But as long as he was carrying a stone for Jesus, it was just a little one that fit in his pocket. Older brothers are in it for themselves. Older brothers also have a strong sense of their own superiority. I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed, but when this son of yours did all this loose living, the older brother was trying to get control of his father's things by doing good. If we believe that God owes us salvation because we go to church or because we've obeyed, then God's not really our Savior. He's just our boss. Our boss owes us a paycheck at the end of the day. 
If the elder brother really knew who he was, he would have recognized that I'm just as self-centered and I'm just as much a grief to my father as my brother is. I have no right to feel superior. superior. Finally, older brothers often live good lives out of fear and not joy and love. They're not really doing good things for the sake of doing good things, for feeding the poor for the sake of feeding the poor. They're doing it for their own salvation at the end of the day. Jesus is inviting us to a banquet. And none of us are worthy to come. None of us are worthy to enter the banquet. We're all wayward sons and daughters. Will you come? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. It's not for those who are superior or those who are elite or those who are well-educated. It's not for those who are good-looking. It's not for those who are rich. It's not for those who are athletically gifted. It's for all. It's for the crippled and the blind and the lame and the poor, of which we all are. And we thank you because you've given us the gospel. And maybe this morning has just been a reminder of the gospel, a reminder that we too are wayward sons and daughters and that you are a good, good father. And that when we wander away, you'll put the 99 in the field and pen them up and go after that one that's lost, which is sometimes us. And you'll bring us home and carrying us on your shoulders. Because you love us and you care for us. And so it's to you and to you alone that we worship. It's to you and to you alone that we give glory. It's to you and to you alone that we confess our sins and recognize that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for this reminder this morning. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has never come to the banquet, maybe they thought they were unworthy Maybe they really never recognize their own lostness. May they this morning, by the power of your Holy Spirit, confess, Father, I have sinned against you. And may they return home to you that they might be found, that they might go from being dead to being alive. We praise you and thank you for all that you've given to us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.